Please remain standing for just another few moments um, and say the prayer that we say in each of our services here in Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. Uh, This is a prayer called the Shema. It's a prayer that Jesus would have prayed multiple times each day, including every time that the text was approached. And so part of our way of trying to be like Jesus is to recite this prayer in each of our gatherings as well. You'll see some of us raising our pinkies. For us, this is a reminder that in the little finger of God, there is enough power to change our hearts, to change our minds, and to change the entire world. So please say these words with me. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Sorry, I almost continued in the Hebrew. (laughs) Please remain standing as I read to you from the book that we love. This is from the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jerusalem authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he spoke to them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So according to Pastor Dinah... We have come to the fourth most high holy day on the Christian calendar. Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day have passed, and today we celebrate Pentecost. Our Christian tradition for Pentecost is, of course, to celebrate the birth of the church, but you probably won't be surprised to know that the roots of Pentecost are much deeper than the events in the book of Acts. In the Jewish calendar, on the Jewish calendar, this holiday is known as Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. Good job. Shavuot is the Hebrew word that means weeks. This holiday takes its name from the fact that this holiday comes a week of weeks after the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So just as there are seven days within a week, a week of weeks is a seven-day stretch of seven, or seven-week stretch of seven-day weeks. So what that means is that we're roughly 50 days beyond Easter. And the word Pentecost itself is just the Greek word that means the 50th day. Shavuot and the Jewish holiday and the Jewish tradition was and still is a celebration of many different things. It began as an agrarian holiday celebrating the the first harvest of wheat. But as the people celebrated this holiday, the Jewish sages began to count the days that it took the wandering Israelites to take between the Red Sea and Mount Sinai. And what they found is that that journey roughly took 50 days. 
And so the holiday of Shavuot that began as this agrarian holiday began to have a deeper meaning, a deeper significance. For the Jewish people, Shavuot commemorates the receiving of the Ten Commandments, the receiving of the Torah, the receiving of the Word of God. And then for our Christian experience, in Luke's writing, in Acts 2, it is on this day, on Shavuot, or Pentecost, that Jesus' disciples are gathered, likely on the southern steps of the Temple Mount, 50 days after Jesus has risen from the grave. This is from Luke's writing. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue of fire rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Luke's account of Pentecost in the book of Acts is loud, it's violent, it's sudden, and it's even a little disorienting and confusing. His account mirrors the things that happened at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Acts 2 draws together, draws our minds to the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Spirit and ties them together within the same purpose. Word and Spirit intertwine on this day of Pentecost. So Pentecost is for us a celebration of both Word and Spirit. But there is also a softer side of Pentecost, as Fred Craddock says. The giving and the receiving of the Spirit in the Gospel of John contrasts with Luke's account in some pretty remarkable ways. Where Luke is fantastic and extravagant with his words, John is simple and pragmatic. John's account doesn't even take place on the day of Pentecost, but on the resurrection day. Luke has these violent winds and tongues of fire, thunder, speaking in tongues. But John simply says Jesus breathed on them and spoke to them, receive the Holy Spirit. For John, this day is just about a word and a breath. And so we will talk about these words. First, we'll talk about the word, word. In Hebrew, the word for word is davar. Everybody say davar. Very good. This word is used more than 1,400 times in the Hebrew scriptures. It means word, but it also means thing, and it means power. And it means power in a dynamic and creative sense. When God speaks, when God puts forth a word, new things happen. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was a rabbi in the last century, an amazing rabbi, I highly recommend anything you can read that's got his name attached to it. He had this quote before he passed away. He said, words create worlds. Words change everything. They change our reality and they create new ones. I, before I came and worked at the church, I had a corporate job. I was making a lot of money. I was chasing even more money. I was driving myself crazy, driving myself into the ground, working and working and working. And somebody finally sat myself down, sat me down, and said, you know, Ryan, you don't have to do this. You don't have to live 
like this. And these words from my friend opened up a new world for me. They brought a new awareness of what it might mean to be alive. My world changed. And this was just another human sitting next to me talking to me. When God speaks, seas are created and mountains rise from the seas. Stars fill the skies. The sun shines. Seasons cycle when God speaks. The entirety of the cosmos bursts forth into existence from nothing when God speaks. And God still speaks. God's word is that which creates and sustains our world. It's through our world that God continues to speak. You and I, of course, are very familiar with calling our Bibles the word of God. But as you read the Bible, you'll find that the Bible itself calls a lot of other things the word of God. You'll find in the Psalms that the heavens and the stars are referred to as the word of God. And in another place in the Psalms, it's the mouth of a baby. In Romans, Paul talks about your conscience as the word of God. In the book of Acts, it's the Greek philosophers and the poets that are called the word of God. Each of these things speaks, revealing the nature of our Creator, opening up new worlds to those that will listen. Have you ever had a new book or a new idea or the words of a friend open up a new reality for you? As a mountain view or a starry sky or a running river or a deep, dark forest ever transformed your experience of life? Has the mouth of a child ever opened up a new world? Now let's talk about breath. The Hebrew word for breath is ruach, Everybody say ruach. ruach. You got to get back there in the throat. This word is probably a little more well known around here. We talk about ruach a lot. Ruach, of course, means breath, but it also means wind and it means spirit. In our scriptures, breath, spirit, wind, all of these things are the things that give life. Listen to these words from the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sat me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, only you know. Then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." Each of the instances of spirit and breath in these verses is the word ruach. 
Ezekiel goes on to say a little later in this passage that the Lord told him to prophesy to the breath itself, saying to the breath to come from the four corners in wind, to breathe again on the slain, to give life. Wind and breath and spirit give new life to that which was dead. In 1 Kings, we have Elijah staying with a widow and her son who were on the brink of starvation. And God fed this widow and this son and led them away from death, but as time went by, the son grew sick. The scripture says that in this boy, there was no breath left in him. There was no ruach in him. The boy dies, and the widow's faith is shattered. God saved them from one death only to give them to another, says the woman. And yet Elijah prays, he gives a word, and life returns. Breath re-enters this boy. Next week, we will begin a new journey through the book of Genesis. And of course, you'd have to begin in the beginning. So listen to these words from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God put forth a word, let there be light, and there was light. Wind from God flowing over that which is formless and void, that which is dark, that which has no order. The word of God brings order to that which was chaos. The word and the spirit act together to create and bring life. And one more verse from Genesis. This one's found in chapter 2. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So this brings us back to our scripture for this morning. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus walks in and he says, shalom, peace. To greet somebody with this word shalom is to pray that their lives would find meaning and wholeness. That chaos would be found there, that chaos itself would find order. That everything in this person's life would work together in harmony, that everything would be put in its right place. So Jesus wishes shalom on those he greets, and then he says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. In John's gospel, Jesus has come into this world with a mission that's been explicitly spelled out throughout the gospel. Everything that Jesus has said and everything that Jesus has done has been about advancing this mission. The gospel begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh, lived among us, 
and we've seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. No one has ever seen God. It is only the son who is God himself, who is close to the father's heart, who has made the father known. And so Jesus, as the divine word, the divine logos has come into the world to shine light into the darkness, to make known to the world the nature of this living God. Throughout our sermon series over the last few weeks, we've looked at encounters that everyday people have had with Jesus. And in each of these encounters, Jesus helps these people to see that throughout their lives, the power and the presence of God was always there. That God is living and active and present within history. God, or Jesus has made, them, made known to them the nature of this God, and he's invited them into partnering with God and creating this new world, bringing life to that which has seemed lifeless, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, finally accomplishes this mission in showing the powerlessness of death itself. And so Jesus has been sent with this purpose, and in this Pentecost event, he now gives to those that have been following him the same mission, or rather the continuation of this mission. And in order to equip them for this mission, he gives them word and he gives them breath. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And in my opinion, it is these five verses that we find in this chapter of John that is the culmination of Jesus' mission to the world. N.T. Wright says that there is all the difference in the world between something being achieved and something being implemented. The composer achieves the writing of the music, the performers implement it. The clockmaker designs and builds the wonderful clock. The owner now has to set it to the right time and keep it wound up. Jesus has accomplished the defeat of death and has begun the work of new creation. His followers don't have to do all that over again. But his disciples instead carry forth the work of implementing that which the risen Christ has accomplished. And specifically, Jesus tells them that in order to do this, if you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Theologians Gail O'Day and Marianne May Thompson agree in their commentaries on the nature of this final commission from Jesus. They explain that throughout the Gospel of John, sin has not been defined as a moral category, that sin in the Gospel of John is not about right and wrong behavior. But instead, in the Gospel of John, sin is a theological failing. Sin is the inability or the refusal to see the word of God within the world. Sin is to look upon the word of God, the mountains, the stars, the babies, and to call it lifeless. Sin is to see these things and to not see that they are incarnated with the very presence of God. God. 
with the gift of Devar and the gift of Ruach, the gift of word and spirit. To forgive sin for these disciples means to continue to reveal the nature of God to the world. To retain sin for these disciples means to close off that revelation. This gift of the Spirit is given so that the disciples would continue this very mission. And so on this day of Pentecost, may you, each of you, be created anew. May you come to know that you are created, that you're created again, and created again, and created again, and created again, and created again, again, with every word that the Lord speaks over you to your hearts and to your minds. And may each of you breathe the breath of God, and as you breathe, and breathe, and breathe, and breathe. May you know that it is the breath, the wind, the Spirit of God that gives you life. May you awaken more and more to the reality that you are the image bearers. You are the spirit breathers of the living God, this God who creates, this God who gives life. May you know that every word that you speak has the potential to create a new world. That every breath that you take is an opportunity to give life. May you know that every word you speak and every breath you take goes into this world revealing the nature and the character of our God. You, my friends, are these disciples. Through the Spirit, you are each being sent just as Jesus was sent. Sent to shine light in darkness, to bring order to chaos, to carry on the mission that God has begun, that Jesus has accomplished. May each of you continue to speak and continue to breathe. Amen.